that's why I think it's so unique is that we had experiences that weren't so conventional. And then we brought it to this field and figured out how to evolve. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, and on today's show, we're talking to the owners of Rice Paper Scissors, and that's Valerie Liu and Katie Kwan. Rice Paper Scissors is this awesome Vietnamese food restaurant pop-up here in San Francisco, and Valerie and Katie talk all about their path to starting this pop-up, their kind of fire that got them to launch this thing in like three days all those years ago, their plans to turn it into a restaurant, and how they got to launch this thing, and what it's been like to be entrepreneurs and business owners and chefs and wear all these different hats. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode and learn all about Valerie and Katie's stories. These aren't two people who went to culinary school or business school or anything like that. They're people like maybe you are who have an idea and made it come to life. So let's dig in and start the conversation with Valerie Liu and Katie Kwan. Katie and Valerie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi. Yeah, great to have you here. (laughs) So talk to me a little bit about this Kickstarter that you did and you're on the verge of opening up your restaurant. How does it how does it feel? Yeah, so we are opening a restaurant at uh, Folsom and 22nd. It's a beautiful corner spot next to Mission de Flores, the flower shop. Um, when we got the space in January, we knew that we would want to do a Kickstarter to spread the word and also raise some much needed money. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? It was really exciting because the Kickstarter, you kind of make a video, you put it out in the world, and then all of a sudden, like Valerie said, you feel like it's your birthday. Yeah, it's like your birthday for the whole month. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. It's better than your birthday. I've always birthday, dreaded birthday my birthday. Birthday times like $47,000. Yeah, it's super cool. I feel like when we found the spot, we got really excited, but we couldn't tell anyone. And there's like a whole bunch of stuff that you do to make sure it's real. And you still don't know if it's ever going to be real, but you're like building up. And then I feel like, you know, you put a kettle onto the the stove and it just bubbles and bubbles and bubbles. And the Kickstarter is when you're like, dude, for a whole month, you know, <laughs> you're just like, woohoo, for the I whole month, that. you know? Yeah, I That's love how that. I feel. And, yeah. and so this is transforming your pop up, Rice Paper Scissors, which is a Vietnamese pop up restaurant into a brick and mortar. And so when is the restaurant going to actually kind of like full? kettle explosion um, and and open up. My favorite question. <laughs> Valerie's favorite answer? Uh, six months to a year from now. Okay. It's, it's hard to tell. You know, it's like there's a lot of little steps that need to happen. And we're working with like the city's timelines, our architects, our own timelines, our future contractors. So it's, it's hard to tell because there's so many people involved. Yeah, but we've been open and around for six years, almost going on our seventh year, almost. So I feel like at this point, we're not trying to rush into it. What's What's been kind of like the biggest surprise of, you know, going from a pop-up, which you, you've, you've done, you've been running it, to transitioning to a restaurant? Like you were saying, Valerie, that it's, yeah, it's taking a lot of time. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of hurdles and, and kind of new things to get through with the city and all of that. What was the biggest shock for you guys in terms of this this transition from pop-up to brick and mortar? I guess what surprised me the most is how hard lighting is. 
Really? How to choose lighting, the fixtures, the decorative stuff, the functional stuff. There's a lot that goes into it and it's very hard. Did you guys hire like an interior designer or decorator or are you guys doing that yourselves? Uh, we have an architect and interior designer, but you know, ultimately it's kind of our call. So I've looked more into lighting than I have in my entire life. Right. Cause it's not just food. It's like creating the whole experience, the environment, what's, what are people feeling and, yeah. and seeing when they walk in the door? Yeah. I think for us having a pop-up has always been about, first of all, kind of the immediacy of everything. You know, we decided to pop up our first pop-up. We decided I think three days before we actually had it. Like we didn't even know what we were going to do. And That's then we insane. Did it. Wow. And we had managed to buy all these random lights and stools and concept and cooked and menu and all that good stuff. Marketing too. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So this is definitely a longer road. Um, and we've always kind of tried to figure out how we're going to have our pop up in somebody else's space. So, you know, we have cooked in a lot of kitchens. We've cooked in a lot of restaurants and we try to put up the things that represent us. But it's always been, you know, small things. I think this is from the ground up. So it's how do you want your space to be oriented and what do you want it to look like in the long term? So I feel like we've gone through a lot of iterations of what we see in the restaurant because they're all different kind of stories of what it could be. Uh, so that's kind of hard. And it's a blank space. It's not right. like we bought a restaurant and we're changing a couple things. We bought a grocery store and we're changing it into a restaurant. And wow. that is like, I don't know. I'm sure you under like you kind of think this way too it's like when you have some sort of limitation it gives you know uh you're allowed to be more creative and this is just like nothing it's just like what do you want where do you want <laughs> right. the walls you're like i don't know right so it's like every single decision every is single like thing. Is, is something to make yeah so let's rewind a bit to those six seven years ago yeah. and when you decided to get into food and i think katie you had just lost your job yeah. at the time. <laughs> and Valerie, you kind of were like, you know, had like the inkling of this idea and the kind of cosmos timing kind of came together. So bring me through that moment of what made you guys say, yeah, in three days, let's throw our first pop up and and do this. Like what was going on in your minds during that during that moment? So Katie and I both got our start at the underground market, which was a kind of underground food rave, if you will, that was started around 2009, 2010. It was kind of during the recession. And okay. it was, a, people kind of took that time to reevaluate what they were doing. And a lot of people turned to like kind of selling food on the street and like trying out ideas. And things were really experimental during that time in San Francisco. Um, Twitter was getting really big and people were using that as a way to get a word out about their pop-ups. So Katie and I were both selling Vietnamese food there, and I hit up Katie right before the Vietnamese slash Chinese New Year and said, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we kind of did our own Saigon-style street dining um, for the New Year? And so we met up at Mojo Bicycle Cafe, which would later be our home for the next six years. <laughs> um, and we just like discussed some ideas, you know, bought a stack of little red stools and walked down from Deviz to the mission, knocking on people's doors and asking, hey, can we set up a restaurant here in a few days? Yeah. <laughs> Had you guys ever done anything like that before in terms of like going from idea to execution so quickly? Like what there was a fire here for you guys just to be like, let's do it. And it wasn't like, let's open a restaurant three days. I understand that. But it was still kind of Herculean effort to put it together and not even have a place to to, to, to put it at first. 
Like what was the, the fire was just like, let's just do this. We want it. We want to make it happen. Um, well, first of all, Valerie is very good at cold calls, you know, <laughs> knock on door, say what's up. Um, but also I feel like I actually am really nostalgic about that time because I feel like a lot has changed since then. Um, as Valerie mentioned, it was during the recession and there were a lot of people who were reevaluating their lives and things that like, I would be like, whoa, that's so weird now actually happened then. You know, I used to have a friend who would sell food every week on this one corner and now he has like a chocolate business and it's legit. Wow. So I think that there was a good amount of momentum from everyone around us that kind of propelled, you know, everyone to move forward and kind of explore uh, their interests and their passions. So I think that helped. So there was more of a culture, you would say, even in the city and with the, it was called the underground market. Even with that, like people were just kind of going out, especially around food and just making it happen. Yeah, I think we all empowered each other. I think all we needed was a folding table. Like we didn't worry too much about anything as long as you had your folding table, your food. Yeah. And Twitter, you were yeah. good to go. It's like a folding table that also folds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the six that folds into the three, that's the best because then you can fit in your car. That's awesome. Just like yeah. a tiny, it folds down to a teeny tiny. Yeah. Did you guys grow up in houses where like food was just constantly there? Were you guys cooking all the time before this? Like what what about the food element for you where you, you felt like you wanted to do this? Mm, I grew up, I'm one of five kids um, and I grew up always eating dinner, you know, with my family at nighttime. And my dad's really into food. And before this all started, he's like, Katie, we should go to China, just you and me and a videographer and shoot a show, which is really adorable. He loves food. So I find that most of my interest in food come from him and also traveling around China and um, Asia. Um, And then I grew up when Food TV Network was becoming really big. Yeah. And it was like the first cable show that I kind of, or network that I kind of identified with after TGIF. And uh, <laughs> I used to watch it a lot in college. Now I don't watch it at all. But there was a while where I just like watched it constantly. And it was a way to express, you know, um, your creativity, especially when you're young. And I remember at some point my mom was like, I don't want to cook anymore. You guys do it. <laughs> and so I feel like we started cooking a lot at home, like the kids um, she's like, I've had five kids. I'm done. You guys do it, <laughs> yeah. you know? And somehow at some point we took over, you know, and started cooking for the rest of the family. Nice, nice. And Valerie, what about you? Were you were you cooking also from, from kind of a young age? Food wasn't a big part of my life until I kind of started our business. Growing up, um, my mom was a single mother, so we subsisted on a lot of Red Baron frozen pizzas <laughs> And microwave food, which I still love to this day. Um, But we were also lucky to live next to our grandma or with our grandma at times. And she would cook, you know, Vietnamese egg omelets and steam buns with little quail eggs inside and crab noodle soup. Dishes that I grew up loving and gave me like a window into my culture um, being Vietnamese. And so when the underground market started, you know, I was dating Iso and I was helping him out and... I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity to tap into this food culture that I don't know that much about. And there's a venue to do that. And so that's kind of how I got into food and Vietnamese food. And you mentioned Iso, and he's the founder of the underground market. And when you talk about food and restaurants and all this culture, I really think about community and bringing people together. Was that part of it for you all that you wanted to create some kind of communal 
you know, dining experience or, or way to bring people together kind of across culture, across food in the city? Or was it, you know, really just about let's, let's feed them great stuff and uh, see what happens. With us, it's like, it's about the food, but it's about um, stories. So my background's in journalism. I was a yearbook nerd. I did it in college. Um, I did a little bit in San Francisco, a little bit of writing. And uh, food is just like another way to tell stories. You know, when you put a plate in front of someone, we try to tell them about where it came from, what inspired mm. us. And it's, just, it's an excuse to, to connect and shoot the shit. Yeah. And also our, our visions are kind of, of a restaurant are, have always been grounded in the idea of street food. Uh, I was really inspired by traveling through Vietnam. And the thing that we loved about it the most was the fact that everyone just pulled up a little red stool and sat outside and uh, connected with people or met new people. And so for us, when we started our first pop-up, uh, the underground market was kind of like a food rave, as Valerie said, where it was in a club and everyone's standing up and they're trying lots of things. And we wanted to have a pop-up where it was just Vietnamese food. It was about sitting on the sidewalk. It was about getting to know people next to you and enjoying food. And I think from there, I don't think we had the, necessarily had the foresight to understand it was about growing a community. Our first thought was like, let's get people together that don't know each other so they can meet each other. And I think now, six years down the road, I've come to understand a lot more that it's about community and it's about the people that um, come together. And at Mojo, we can see that with all of our regulars. We have regulars every single week. We've had regulars for years that come every Thursday. And it's a really great opportunity to have them meet each other and um, serve the neighborhood in, in some way. Yeah, and Mojo Cafe is on Divisadero in San Francisco, and you guys have your pop-up there every Thursday yeah. inside the, the yeah. cafe there. At what point kind of early on did the switch flip and you say, let's go all in on this idea and just make this our thing, where you said, Katie, like, I'm not going to look for my next job. I've already found it. Like, when does that happen? I remember we had just finished the SF Street Food Festival. Mm-hmm. And I think for the first one, we had to be voted in kind of like American Idol style. Nice. So we did like a Justin Bieber yeah. cover <laughs> of a song, Boyfriend. And then we sang If I Was Your Vendor. It's still on YouTube and I, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> oh, I thought you were I thought you were like saying it was American Idol style in that, you know, like they taste the food and then there'd be judges. No, no, no. You actually had to perform. No, no. we no, we didn't have to. We decided to. Oh, okay. was, yeah. That was a choice. So we did have to get voted in kind of It like, was like a survey and we we helped with a, a video. Yeah. I love that. Video. Um so we we got into the contest or got into the festival after a lot of hustling and had a great time. And I think the next week we sat kind of exhausted and decompressed like at Dolores Park. We were like on top of the, the hill and we asked ourselves like, what do we want to do next? Like, do we want to like pursue media? Cause we did a lot of writing and a lot of music videos. And <laughs> do we want to go like the Anthony Bourdain route, if you will? Or do we want to open a restaurant? Kind of debated the pros and cons. And I brought up two of our regulars. Um, they're a couple they we saw them when they were just married and hanging out having date night at mojo we saw them when they were pregnant and then we saw them when they had their first child and now they have their second and it's like cool to be weaved in people's lives and vice versa and to see children grow up and i was like 
that's a good reason to open a restaurant. That's a good one, right? <laughs> yeah, really good. Yeah. To like stay with people and, and not only be a part of the community at, at large, but get to know customers and kind of nourish and feed them and take care of them through their through their life's journeys. I think, yeah, what, what better yeah. <laughs> cause can you think of? I love that. And so let's talk a little bit about your backstories. I'd like to know from both you, Katie and Valerie, like what you were doing before the pop-up, like school and kind of job stuff before that. Take me through both your backstories a little bit. How far back do you want to go? <laughs> let's, let's, I don't know, go back, <laughs> go back, take back. it way back. Like, yeah, well, yeah. I born. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in preschool, were you like friendly or were you kind of like a little bullyish? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I grew up in Sunnyvale uh, in the South Bay and then I went to school to, at UC Santa Cruz. And the whole time I was always really into journalism, always very nosy, poking my head into situations, asking questions. Um, and then I met Iso when I spent a summer in the city um, and we started dating and that's when he was like formulating Forge SF and the underground market. And it was just really exciting to see him make it happen. So I helped out as much as I could. And that's when I delved in, you know, I saw the underground market as an opportunity to like make something. And so I, I started making Vietnamese food. Hey everyone, I'm really excited to tell you about a special Making Ways event that's happening here in San Francisco on December 5th. I'll be interviewing the creative director for the amazing interactive museum, the Exploratorium here in the city, and that's Lara McCormick. She's had an incredible career as an instructor, as a designer, and now at the Exploratorium. So we're going to have this interview followed by a workshop. There's going to be free food and beer, and it's going to be an amazing time. The ticket is $20, but $15 of that money is going to the Northern California Fire Fund, which is going to help out the people and the communities that were ravaged by the wildfires this fall. You can learn more about the event by signing up on the Making Ways newsletter at makingways.co, and you can also go to bit.ly backslash makingwayslive. That's bit.ly makingwayslive, and you can get right to the event page, purchase your ticket, and I'll see you on December 5th. Now let's get back to the show. And were you working as a journalist? Did you have like a, were you freelance? Were you, or, or no? I was that just was, in college. You were just in college. I was just at UC Santa Cruz and Got kind it. of splitting my time between um, San Francisco and Santa Cruz. And is there a part of you that like still yearns for the journalism side and like expressing that kind of curiosity and investigation and more of like the written word or, or in videos and things like that? Definitely. So um, throughout Rice, Paper, Scissors, we've always, you know, written stories and try to profile people that we admire. Um, yeah, I love that. I saw that on the on the blog, on the website. Yeah. Yeah, we try to celebrate badass women and um, and also started a little side project a few years ago called Chinatown Pretty. Yeah, what is that? Tell me about that. Where we um, document the street styles of Chinatown seniors. That you've, is so awesome. You've probably awesome. seen them. They wear like really awesome like Obey baseball caps with like puffy jackets. And it's about keeping the sun out, but also staying really warm. Yeah, you did a presentation I was watching on on YouTube and seeing the images of these um, of these people. It was, yeah, like when you when you kind of shine the spotlight on something, it it, it points out the uniqueness and the specialness and like the fashion is is really cool. So what what else are you doing with that project? Do you is it part of um part of a website or yeah. Yeah, we're on Instagram as Chinatown Pretty and we have a blog, Chinatownpretty.com. And we hope to write a book someday. 
Awesome. Very cool. And Katie, what about you kind of before, before rice, paper, scissors? I studied science all my life. Oh, wow. Um, I'm pretty sure my parents want me to be a doctor. Actually, I'm very sure. <laughs> yeah, usually As that's not ambiguous. Out. Like, I, mm, I wonder yeah. if my parents want me yeah, to be a doctor right? or they're just like giving me this doctor's outfit every Halloween. It's like, a, you know. My parents, are, uh, my dad's a doctor. Okay. Um, and he, he's, actually, he's a doctor in Chinatown. And the thing that I didn't realize or just didn't think about when I was younger is that he's, it's, for him, it's a lot about community as well because you can be a doctor, you can study, you can be a brain surgeon, but he's a cardiologist, but he also just deals with a lot of seniors. Um, and he's a staple of that community as well, which is I've come to realize is really nice. Um, anyways, my parents want me to be a doctor. I'm terrible at biology. Like, I'm so bad at it. <laughs> I've never prioritized it. And but you love science. Love science. Right, which is different. I like, but I like the physical world. Yeah. I like, you know, physics, chemistry. I do not like biology. Yeah. Um, and I also just would, you know, my dad would take me to the hospital all the time when he would work and sit there and he'd do dictations or EKG work. And he would leave me in the cafeteria so he could go check on his patients. And I would hang out with the chef there and eat jello. <laughs> which I loved. There's a lot of jello in hospitals. And also Thousand Island dressing with some salad. Um, and I always felt like that was so much more interesting to me. So it's always been like a very torn. Um, when I went to college, I was I like that he I like that he <laughs> brought you to a hospital to be like, look at all the cool stuff that doctors yeah. do, look what I'm doing. Yeah. And you end up in the cafeteria and yeah. being like most super excited about kind of like the jello, the jello and the cooking and, and all that. Island. And the prepackaged thousand right, island right. dressing. It, yeah. <laughs> prepackaged. <laughs> Versus French, like French dressing. I had to really understand these things because I did not grow up like that. Right. Well, like, there's that salad there, dressing. There's Thousand Island and then there's Russian. Oh, and yeah. like they're basically the same except one has relish. Yeah. They don't tell you that. Yeah. I don't, I don't get they it. They just market it completely different. And then I'm like, what's the difference between that in and out sauce and now McDonald's <laughs> special sauce? Oh, yeah. McDonald's special sauce is a little bit more musty, I would say. In any case. Musty. That's that's a word you don't want necessarily <laughs> ascribe to. Musty. musty. I was yeah, like, yeah. what is this? But anyway, I like that like a parent tries really hard yeah. to kind of, and then, know. It, you know, the, the, the kids kind of could just get, get into what they want to get into. I know. I wandered into like the jello section. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I, I was an engineering and I loved making things. So, and I would in a lot of chem labs and I thought they were terribly boring because you have to weigh everything, you have to clean everything really well. And it felt very sterile to me. I like, I knew I liked that, the process of making things, but I don't like the idea of just having to be so exact. Um, I felt like cooking was really great because there's an outcome that I, that I can enjoy and share with other people and get more of an immediate return. I'm not like counting cells for like five years of my life. I'm like actually producing something, feeding people, and understanding that, and especially in my family, it's a way that people express love. Yeah. Which is really funny because <laughs> we were talking about love languages the other day, and my boyfriend's white, and he's like, I don't understand, Katie. She like, always gets mad at me, but then she always brings me food at the end of the night. <laughs> and then I think it was Belle. Um, I think so. Our other friend, she was like, well, that's how Asians express love. <laughs> and then it made him so excited and happy. He's like, finally understood me. I love that. Um, but yeah, so it's definitely a way to spread warmth. And I'm kind of like a shy person. And I'm often in my own mind. So I think it's been really great to be able to 
you know, create what I can to share with other people. Yeah. Because it may not always be so obvious. Again, do you think about that kind of, I don't know, that love and passion for science and, and things like that from time to time? Or do you feel like you've been able to kind of translate it into this new life and this new work? And it's it's just even more fulfilling for all those reasons that you that yeah. you said? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that we, that well, at least I felt kind of self-conscious about when we started was that we didn't have any formal training. Right. Right. She's into journalism. I'm like, chemistry um and what are we doing in this kitchen right right Right? and there's like it feels intimidating but then you realize that you have tools that other people don't you know everyone has their different set of skills everyone comes from their different lines of training but it took didn't take that long but it you know I did realize along the way that even though I wasn't I didn't know what that was or how to make this or that like I possess the skills to figure out how to right and organize myself and execute it and probably learn even quicker. So it was great. It was, and then that's why I think it's so unique is that we had experiences that weren't so conventional. And then we brought it to this field and figured out how to evolve yeah. and kind of move on to the next step. Yeah, I love that kind of when you when you're not used to how something should run and you approach it with your own experiences, I think that's the moment of kind of recreation and like uniqueness can emerge. Did any part of you guys think, well, maybe we should go to culinary school or on the other side, we can figure this out. We got this. Yeah. I'm like, I don't have time to go to culinary school. I don't (laughs) want to go in debt like that. Mm -mm, No. I think we're more into doing than like, I think like that's, like the pop-up state of mind is just like deciding to do something and then doing it because you're never going to get it right, but at least you get some sort of experience and confidence and know what you could do better next time. For us, we tell people, don't worry about your business plan. Like don't get caught up in the thing before you even do the thing. That's awesome. And Valerie, you talked about kind of this, the ideas and the pop-up state of mind. And Katie, I heard you say something really uh, interesting, which I absolutely loved which was dormant ideas burden the soul. And I wanted you to tell me a little bit about how you were feeling before rice, paper, scissors and how that kind of, uh, that kind of saying rang true for you. Yeah. Well, I think probably a year, well, all throughout the job that I had before rice, paper, scissors, I was, um, I was like a market research type of, um, analyst for biotech, which, personally, I thought was very boring. Um, and I remember talking about food, consuming a lot of food media. I would, my, one of my managers once commented that I had more cookbooks and cooking magazines on my desk than I had like biotech magazines because they were so awfully boring. And my vice president at the time was always like, when is Katie going to open her catering company? And he would say this openly, (laughs) you know, in this environment. And I think my manager sat me down one time and said, on a scale of one to 10, rate how you like your job. And um, I was like, seven, you know, just like pulling it out. Like seven seems average, it's a C, it's fine. <laughs> um, and she was surprised because I think that my brain had turned off a long, a long time ago. Like I was kind of going through things really mechanically. And I think that it was true. There was this sense that like there was something else I should be doing. And I was kind of in limbo. And I, and I credit my manager for firing me because fuck, if I were doing that, I would just be so unwoke. 
unwell and unwoke. Yeah, unwell and it would and burden unwoke, yeah. me. It really yeah. would. And so after it's amazing that, when like when people around you can see something so obvious about yeah. yourself, but yeah. it takes you longer to yeah. come to terms to it or yeah. wake up to it. You don't have that perspective at yeah. all. Yeah. And then afterwards, my parents were like, apply to med school, apply to med school, apply to med school. And I took the MCAT again. You know, I took it like multiple times. So I was trying to like push them off, be like, okay, it's fine. I'll take this test. Um, and even then I was really torn and continually my, um, vice president would be like, why don't you get open our catering company? When are you going to do this? And it, it took like a trip to Vietnam, coming back, having a lot of unemployment time that makes you very restless, that kind of kicks you into gear. And that's when I started, um, at the underground market. And I think for a lot of us, all we need is like a little match. It doesn't even have to be a big one, you know, just someone to tell you like it's okay you can do it and um that little bit of encouragement coupled with the times that we were in was really able to move on and I think that burden came off I was so upset when I was thinking about applying to med school because I was like I don't even know if I want to do this yeah I can't believe you I can't believe you kind of went as far as to apply I guess you just felt kind of lost and you're like well they're begging me to do it I'll just do it yeah and you're so young you know um, it's hard to know like what path you want to pick. Yeah. And it's funny because at that age, you still think it's about what you're doing, like the subject matter, as opposed to like how you're doing it or how you're, you know, involved with other people's lives. So it really burdened me. Um, but yeah, that's gone. And so what would you, <laughs> other yeah. burdens have come, but that one's gone. <laughs> I love that. And so, I mean, what advice would you tell people who, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they just like, they haven't realized what their thing is yet. Like what, what clues do you wish you had kind of, or questions you wish you had kind of asked yourself back then that maybe would have like woke you up a little quicker? I think that it's about friends supporting friends and pushing each other to do things. I don't think that it can come from inside as much because everyone has their own challenges. They all have their own mental blocks. Uh, we spoke about a pop-up state of mind about just doing it, which was really great. Um, we talked about involving others and friends and making it real by taking an idea out of your brain and asking a friend about it or asking a friend to help out or contribute in some manner so that whatever you have in your brain is actually put into motion. It's like actualized, it's realized. Yeah. And once you, once it once lands verbalize, yeah. on, on someone else, then it becomes yeah. this thing. Valerie's very good at naming things and giving projects names, which gives it more momentum. Yeah. Um, and that helps give it legs. So I think involving people, really considering something to be real in your mind and going through those small little details of making it real really helps. Awesome. Well, I'm wishing you guys great success. I'll be at Mojo uh, on a <laughs> Thursday night coming up, and I'll be at the restaurant uh, when it opens up in the future. Yeah. Wishing you guys tons of success. And Valerie and Katie, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks yeah, for having us. Thanks for having us. Okay, that was my conversation with Valerie and Katie from Rice, Paper, Scissors. Valerie and Katie, thank you guys so much for joining the show and for sharing so much of your story. If you guys out there are interested in having rice paper, scissors, cater your event if you live in the Bay Area, or if you wanna check out their food over at Mojo Cafe, or just read about their amazing story and check out their blog where they've got awesome profiles of kick-ass women entrepreneurs, go to ricepaperscissors.com. Be sure to subscribe for the Making Ways newsletter at makingways.co. And you can also follow us and find us on all the social media 
Don't forget about our event on December 5th at General Assembly. It's going to be amazing. I'm interviewing the creative director of the Exploratorium, Larry McCormick. There's going to be beer and food, and it's going to be a great opportunity to meet and mingle with some amazing creative minds here in the Bay Area. That's on December 5th, and you can learn about it at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y backslash Making Ways Live. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim in the mix, too. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next week.